the VO Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. Whether you're a veteran voice actor, just starting out, or don't even know how to set a level, we're here to help you avoid the pitfalls along your voiceover path to success. The VO Meter is brought to you by Voice Actor Websites, Studio Bricks, Global Voice Acting Academy, JMC Demos, and Sennheiser. The VO Meter is produced in part using Source Connect, made by source-elements.com. And now, your hosts, Paul Stefano and Sean Daly. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 76 of the VO Meter. Measuring your voice over progress. Today, we are going to be talking with super successful voice talent, John Malone. But before that, it's time for our VO Meter reference levels. VoiceOver Extra brings you the VO Meter reference levels. Uh, seriously, guys, that's the best you could come up with? Hey, it's your show. Yeah, always exciting. Thank you to John Florian at VoiceOver Extra for sponsoring this segment. Sean, what's up with you? Uh, actually been getting a lot of e-learning gigs recently, so that's been fun. Um, like... I, I don't know. It's been like I've been kind of been uh, reaching out to more international clients and like just all at once. I've been like in the same week I worked with someone from Germany who was actually like an intermediary studio for someone in the Middle East. And then I was working with a Mexican company and then um, and then a, a large tech company in Seattle that you're probably familiar with that I can't talk about. So ah. um, I, have, I have one of those, too. We'll get to in a second. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's it's been a, uh, an interesting summer, kind of like lows and highs, uh, as you might expect, but everything starts to, to be ramping up a little bit more. Um, and I had some fun auditions this week that I can't talk about, but I'm really excited about. But um, <laughs> other than, I know that never happens, right? But um, other than that, it's been going pretty well. Oh, and one other thing. Um, I actually got asked by Global Voice Acting Academy, by GVAA, to lead a sort of introductory workshop into voiceover. So we actually called it VO for Newbies, because I want you to know exactly who it's for. Um, <laughs> And it's going to be going on on September 23rd, just about two weeks from now at 5 o'clock Pacific, 8 o'clock Eastern. So super excited about that. I'm also on a bit of a runner's high because I just spent like two hours working or doing uh, a peer-led workout for GVAA. And it's been a couple of weeks. And so it was really nice to kind of like put the director cap back on and work with some talented talent. And my girlfriend actually joined the membership this month. So I got to direct her in a little bit, uh, doing like a, a really fun, sultry cow <laughs> character cool. uh, uh, piece. So it was a lot of fun. So is she pursuing VO full-time, or what's, what's going on there? We're working towards that. For, for those of you who don't know, my girlfriend's what's called a teaching artist. So she works for a company that gets grants from the government to provide theater programs for schools that don't have them. Oh. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool solution to schools that don't may not be able to invest in the arts as much as they'd like. So... So yeah, so she works for a company called Tacoma Arts Live that's based in Tacoma, Washington, and she'll go to various schools and or, or teach remotely and, and do like a two to four to six week curriculum on, um, it could just be working on a play, it could be working on a specific skill like puppetry, or it might be kind of a more like how to deal, or what's called uh, social emotional learning, like how do we deal with bullying, like how do we support someone when they're having a, a rough time, stuff like that. 
So she's one of the reasons we we got we're an item is because we always like we're an item. We, we Are loved eighty seven years old. <laughs> I don't know. I, it's what a, a old soul, I guess. But um, well, my girlfriend and I we we got together well all the way back in two thousand and sixteen. We drove up to the point <laughs> and did some some pretty heavy petting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, someone, someone put the Beach Boys on the Victrola. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know, but anyways, so so like we we actually met in co- like in college when I was in grad school and she was in undergrad. Uh, we were both in the theater program at Western Washington University, and um, like we like we never actually dated when we were in college, but that we were both kind of thought of each other as the one that got away, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like eight years later, we we actually made an e- like she was in Hawaii at the time, and I've talked about it on the podcast. But like, I made an effort to go see her, and then very shortly after that, like we became a couple. So, in <laughs> our uh, in our five year anniversary is actually coming up in uh, in about a month. Oh wow! Congratulations. Thank you. So this GVAA thing, the, the VO for newbies, is that a one-off, or is it going to be like a new intro session you'll be doing from now on? Um, so, so that, it's, like, it's kind of a one-off thing. It, it'll be available as both like a live product if you're able to go, and then if not, it'll be a recorded one. And if you're in our membership, you'll get access to it for like as part of your membership so right. like uh, so we like to if you're in the membership and you're listening don't buy this webinar you'll get it eventually <laughs> unless you want to attend live and ask some questions but um so yeah so that that's happening and then um but yeah kind of to your point this it's kind of more of like we might do it a couple times a year but it's probably just the one live event and then like kind of perpetual recording access right right but we are talking about, I'm already working on a couple of other introductory webinars that, that might be part of a series, it might be standalone, but for example, home studio basics, VO marketing basics, that kind of thing. So it's definitely not the only educational thing I'll be doing for GVAA, but it's, uh, it's the start of a beautiful friendship. Very cool. Congratulations on all that. Thank you. What about you? Well, first of all, I got a hernia. That's pretty exciting news. Oh, no! Yeah. Was that from working one voice? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Uh, to be quite honest, the, it actually happened while uh, while sitting on the can. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, no! I think that was the, the final push, as some of my local friends have said. I, I, <laughs> I, I think it did happen from overexerting myself at the conference. No blame to the organizers of one voice, but... It was more lifting than I tend to normally do. I don't do a whole lot of uh, strength training at home. So, you know, we're moving mm-hmm. some risers and mic stands and tables. And then that Tuesday after we got back, something popped. <laughs> oh, no. So I'm God, dealing with they, that. And, it's, and I can't get surgery until like 30 days from now. So I went to the surgeon and they said, yeah, we'll do it. But the first they have available is October 6th. So we're recording this on Jesus. September 10th. So I'm going to have to hold out or hold in, as it were, until... Until the middle of October. <laughs> so that's yeah, fun. it's no joke. You know what's weird? I didn't realize how much diaphragmic breathing and, and, and use I was doing when I'm performing, which I guess is a good thing because when I went to the vocal therapist a couple of years ago, they told me I wasn't doing that. Like I was basically breathing only out of my head and I needed to use my diaphragm more. So I'm feeling it now when I'm, when I'm doing a lot of work in my stomach because I guess the diaphragm is pressing on the hernia. So good news is I'm probably have better VO form. Bad news is I have a hernia. 
Dude, I've been through very similar thing too. And as you might find, like for if you do do a lot of vocal work, you do, and once you learn to activate your core, your abs are working a lot more than maybe mm. they used to be. I mean, I never really claimed to ha- like. I certainly never had abs in my twenties, you know. But like, I've I've kind of developed them through voiceover of all things. But with that in mind, is that as that tension increases and as your work rate like pays close attention to your posture because like at its worst you'll start bending it like forward at a 45 degree angle so you really need to i'm a big fan of things like yoga tai chi um full body workouts to to get you to stand up taller and we don't really like we don't really massage our abs right we don't really think about relieving abdominal tension but it's so important if you want that thoracic extension, if you want to be able to stand tall and actually get the full, like, what the bagpipe bladder of air, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, right now I'm pretty much hunched, hunched over all the time because of the, the pain. But I'll, I'll get back to that eventually, and you're right. I do need to strengthen my core. And Yeah, it sucks that there. you have to wait because I... I, it's definitely not the kind of thing you can really, like, home treat until you know what you're dealing with. Like, so, No, there's nothing I can do about um, it. But yeah. it'll but, be okay. I mean, if you can, if you can decrease the tension in your shoulders or in your legs, that should help a little bit too. Yeah, laying down definitely helps. So, more medical knowledge than anybody really was expecting on the podcast. But there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but on hey, the... I mean, you and I both do a lot of medical e-learning, and then like, and I come from a medical background with my parents. So That's true. It happens. Uh, so one of my uh, one of my cousins actually asked me. We had a, we went to a, a wedding last week. My brother got married. I guess I can say who it was. My brother got married, and one of my cousins said, "You didn't do that trying to pull off one of those Kegel exercises you put that video up about, did you?" Because <laughs> some of you may have I love seen. I how your family this. and friends give you crap for all the, the I know. projects you've done. It means it means the exposure is working, or the uh, you know, the marketing and promotion. My shameless self promotion is paying off. Exactly. So on, on the VO front, I actually have been doing some work. I'm producing two audiobooks for authors right now and starting a third next week. Those are always fun. And um, for, from a voicing standpoint, I have a project I can't talk about. I'll just tell you that um, it was referred to me by Lisa Biggs. So Lisa, thank you so much for, for the referral to this client. And it was an e-learning piece for a, a large uh, electronics manufacturer. That's all I can say. And finished that a couple of days ago. And what else? Uh, I've done a couple of, of e-learning projects. More medical e-learning is always going on. Uh, and then one thing I wanted to mention, another thanks, and we sound like shameless shills, but what the heck, that's nothing new. Thanks to voice actor websites for the ongoing SEO work they've been doing for me. I got a call today while I was in another session from a local producer saying, I've got a last-minute session with a client in New York. Can you do it? And I said, yeah, uh, what is it? And by the way, how did you find me? So they haven't gotten back to me yet. They're, they're still working it out. Hopefully I'll get it done by the end of today, if not next week. But he said he found me by just doing a Google, Google search on mail VO. And I came up as one of the first couple of listings, and he called me. So website development and SEO works. You don't have to put all of your eggs in the P2P basket if you are doing that or you were thinking about doing that. Work on your own website. It's probably your best tool to market yourself. Definitely. And I feel like a lot of people... Like, it's it's a very, uh, we've talked about it before, but pay-to-play is a very appealing option, right, if you don't really know what marketing looks like, right? And mm-hmm. so I think 
starting small is incredibly important, right? If you, like we were saying with your, like your friends and family know what you do, let your friends and family know what you're doing. Let people know that you're interested in doing this. And I mean, in my own situation, like this was way back in uh, like 2013, one of my longest standing clients was when I, like before I had my demos finished or my website up. And it was just because I was going around saying, hi, I'm Sean, I'm a voice talent, you uh -huh. know? So, and it just happened to be that perfect, like right place, right time, where it's like, well, what do you know? I'm trying to delegate the VO away from myself. So don't be afraid to put yourself out there, especially once you're getting confident in your ability as a talent and you're, you've already, like, you know you've got the, the skills and the talent involved, but like you might not have everything in place, but you're willing to, to do the work to show up to those opportunities. Yeah, and you might not have the confidence yet either. So even if you have a great demo, even if it's produced by some of the great demo producers out there, like sponsor of the show, JMC Demos, God, I am terrible. This is like the fourth promotion I've done. But we love our sponsors. Anyway, if you have a great demo like that, you still may suffer from a little bit of imposter syndrome and not know if it's good. So this producer I just spoke to today on the phone said, I listened to your website. I was really impressed and will definitely use you. That's just fantastic to hear when you, you have that validation from uh, a producer who you want to work with. Absolutely. So that kind of segues nicely to what we were talking about off mic and kind of taking stock of, of where you are and where you've been, you know. We, we recently went to the One Voice conference, and I find that conferences are a great kind of litmus test or time to do a pulse reading as far as, like, where you are in your business. It's kind of like an annual accountability thing, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so, so you were telling to me about kind of, like realizing how far you've come and, and just how that's kind of in, invigored you in, in your reads and stuff like that. Yeah, so I did a, a video this morning, not video, sorry, I did a, a Facebook post with a meme this morning about how, how climbing up the mountain, you kind of are always looking at the summit. You don't really think about where you've been, but looking back down every once in a while can give you an idea of how far you've actually climbed. And this happened because I was applying for a, a, a sending a quote to a job on a live announce gig. And it was, I think it was for a, a wedding, a wedding introduction. So I put in my little note to the client, by the way, I'm also a division one NCAA uh, stadium announcer. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. That's, that's a goal I had like my entire life was to announce in an event because I loved some of I'm a big sports fan, as we've talked about my, the, the fans, I mean, the listeners probably know. So some of my favorite idols growing up were the stadium announcers or radio announcers for the baseball teams I watched, the, the Philadelphia Phillies, and then later in, in high school and college, or college and, and beyond, the Baltimore Orioles. So to now be one of those people announcing at uh, a, a stadium, and I don't think I've mentioned this to the listeners, but I've currently picked up a job as one of the announcers at the University of Maryland, which is the biggest school in Maryland. And it's a Big Ten conference member, which is one of the biggest athletic conferences in the country, if not the world. And it's a stadium that holds, I don't know, 60,000 people. Now, I haven't done the stadium actually yet. I'm doing the soccer field and the volleyball facility. But my hope is eventually maybe I'll get to do either the football stadium or the basketball arena, which holds 20,000. And that's a big deal to me. It's something that I always kind of dreamed of doing. So when I put that in the quote and I was able to actually say, that's what I do, it was really, really self-affirming that I've actually sort of arrived. And we can talk about some other ways that maybe looking into your own VO career, those other barometers like an agent or landing at the production house. So what are some of the things that you've been able to look back upon and say, you know what? I did it. I've, I'm, I've arrived. 
That's awesome. And actually, because, I mean, it is kind of a like, I know you've been working in Live Announce for a while, but, like, I had no idea about the accreditation. Like, how do you become an NCAA, like, uh, licensed or announcer? Uh, ironically, it's just like any other job. There was a, there was a <laughs> Facebook group devoted to public address announcers, because I used to do it at my local university, which is no slouch itself. It's a 25,000 student university called Towson University. I did that for years before I even pursued VO. And uh, there's a group of, of people who have who've either worked in the field or aspiring to work in the field. Our friend Mike Norgard is part of it. Bob Johnson's part of it. Uh, people we've had on the podcast. And there was a posting saying there's a local in Maryland uh, university looking for an announcer. If you have a demo, send me a demo. So I didn't have a demo, but I just quickly made one because I know what it involves. So I just took the lineup from Towson University now, which is where I used to work, uh, put some music behind it, announced it as I would at the stadium. Uh, the lineups, the anthem, a couple of fake announcements about public service, uh, like don't throw things on the, on the court or you'll be arrested, those types of things, and then set it off, and they hired me immediately. So just like any other job, you just need a demo, and if somebody likes your work, they'll hire you. That is awesome. Well done. Very cool. Thank you. So what's something you can look back on and say, hey, that, that's something I was really aiming to accomplish, and I did it? Well, let's see. Big thing was... Uh... Like was my pack rat role last year uh, for it was my first cartoon. Like or I had done some animated projects, but this was like my first broadcast one on a major streaming platform and all that stuff. Um, and that was kind of like I was actually um, working with David Rosenthal, who was the director for that thing, uh, for that project. Yes, I know. And, I auditioned um, for it. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry. Well, I was just saying he's he's my boss at GVAA, and he's also helped me with certain casting opportunities and just in uh, audition help sometimes. It's really nice having someone that you can reach out to and be like, oh yeah, I got a minute, let me help you, kind of mm-hmm. thing. But anyway, so he's like working with that, and um, so and we were actually talking about that session. He's like, and he said some of it, <laughs> he made me feel really good because he's like, you know, Sean, he's like. I know you struggle with, with your nerves sometimes and you tend to get air on like perfectionist polish and all that, but when you relax, you're one of the most creative people I work with. And then to have one of your mentors say that was wow. just like, whoa, that was huge. And he's just like, he's like, when you're focused and you're playing, you're a director's dream. So I'm like, all right, obviously I need to make these things happen more often. So whether that's like warming up for an hour to relax or whatever, just like it was a huge, it was a huge leg up, you know, to have someone that you respect let you know that you're kind of where you you're working towards, you know. Yeah. So, um, and that, and then that, and the fact that the GVA is just like, yo, not only do we want you to uh, like lead this webinar for us, but they promoted me to an actual coach. We like we will actually in the be phasing out peer led workouts because we've been coaching for GVA for uh, my my uh, my partner David Toback and I have been teaching for so long they're like you're coaches so i'm like okay (laughs) i never really expected that but there you go so so that's probably something that we're going to yeah we're going to implement in the new year but it's cool that that they've uh like that they feel that uh or that they've given me that promotion so it's awesome congrats thank you so i think you have a couple of other things everybody wants to get an agent right so that's the first thing a lot of talent think about is i'll get an agent and i'll be set for life now we know that's not exactly the case but it is still a big milestone for a lot of us me included so i remember when i got my first agent uh who is DeSanti talent in chicago i'm still with them and i have to thank another agent 
Lisa Ristow, who actually referred me to them when she was managing her daughter, Jessica. And now Lisa is one of my agents as well. But I, I always remember my, you always remember your first, right? And I'm talking about agents still. You always remember your first. <laughs> so thank you, Lisa, to referring, for referring me to DeSanti. And then since then, I've had maybe 12 agencies. There's a couple I were I was with, I'm no longer with, and I, I've kind of lost count. Uh, I think I have about nine now, maybe 10. And some send me, th- some I'm freelancing with where they send me things when there's availability. Some I'm actually quote unquote signed with. Lisa is one of those with impressive talent. So thanks Lisa for having me on the roster. And uh, yeah, looking back, I never really thought that would happen either. So it's kind of rewarding to be able to put some of those on my website and say, yes, I am represented in Philadelphia and, uh, and Washington and Atlanta and Austin, Texas. So those things make me happy. And I know you have similar experiences uh, with your agencies as well. Definitely. Yeah. And it's like, we've talked about it on the, the, the podcast. It can be like a real, a bit of a symbol of transition into, into like into a bigger pond or into a new market. Um, it's a milestone, right? And so mm-hmm. It, it can be easy because it's like we've talked about on the podcast, just getting an agent or even multiple agents is no guarantee of success, right? But undeniably, you have access to the projects that you're probably aspiring to, right? And though, and having that perspective is very important because it can be very like the imposter syndrome never goes away. Sorry, but like yeah, it will it true. will rear its head when you are feeling when you are tired, when you are sore, when you are not 100%. That's when it loves to rear its ugly head. But it's really important to to view these milestones as true victories, right? Like, and to enjoy the like, wow, two years ago, I never would have had access to these video games and animation auditions. Or wow, like I heard, I know a lot of people get sad when they hear someone else book something that they audition for, but I'm like, wow, I had access to that audition, you know? Yeah, I was going like, to mention that it's actually. Really- Perfect example, mm-hmm. our, our upcoming guest, John Malone, is the current voice of Sonny from Kellogg's Raisin Bran, so the two scoops, Sun, mm-hmm. that, that talks. I remember getting that audition from an agent. I don't remember who it was from. Me too. I, yeah. I wouldn't say anyway, but just seeing that, I, I vividly remember saying, holy crap, I'm auditioning for a Kellogg's job, and that's, that is definitely like uh, life-affirming. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, or like even things like because if you if you're pursuing commercial, you've probably had like memorable commercials or products or dream clients, and like being able to see those in your inbox is huge. Like I said, you may not get it, but it's just it it's really important to keep that perspective and kind of have like that. I mean, there is so much business and seriousness involved in what we do, but in like we are paid for our ability to play and be charming and to be fun to work with. So you have to find the fun and the pleasure and the enjoyment. Otherwise, you're just going to be miserable and not enjoy this pursuit and probably should pursue something else. <laughs> yeah, totally true. So let's talk a little bit more about genres, because I know when I was first starting out, I definitely thought it would be cool to be in certain genres. And you mentioned the pack rat, and I know that that's a that was a big milestone for you. So... I think at this point, I can say I've done every single genre, at least one project, except for audio description, and hmm. that might be it. I've done video games, I've done commercials on TV, radio, I've done e-learning, I've done audiobooks, I've done uh, corporate videos, uh, I've done live announce, uh, 
what else is there? Is there anything else? And which is which is the one that you would think you were most impressed by if it's not already the pack rat? Let's see. I'll uh, well, I don't know. Just kind of finding my niche and uh, like and, and really just embracing my sound, you know? Because I mean, like I've joked that I've like I'm basically like 35 going on 17, <laughs> but um, <laughs> and it's been and and like the market has been sending me signals like. Because my educational background, I do a lot of instructional content. I do I do audio guides and tours and modules and and things like that. And then because of my character background, I do a lot of animation and and like mobile game apps and stuff like that and audio dramas, right? Mm-hmm. And and one thing I don't see a lot of is this commercial stuff. Because honestly, I don't hear guys who sound like me on like on commercials a lot. But it's really just kind of. And again, going back to that session with DR yesterday, it really kind of got me like I was just kind of analyzing my earlier performances and I was like, oh, wow, this one I'm trying to really lower, like kind of make myself sound older and a little bit more polished or maybe I'm being like really up here and more excited and stuff like that. But then we had finally gotten those last reads. I was like, you know what? I'm not I'm not trying to force a sound or trying to like. I'm literally using my full voice. There's there were elements of every dynamic. There was the bass and the treble, then they were all that that's what your voice is. It's this it's this interesting mix of frequencies, right? And I was like, oh, that's what it means to like commit yourself to the character, is to literally give your full voice to the character. And and then working with DR, he's like, if you keep that for every session, you will start booking more. Like so. Mm-hmm. Like, it sounds obvious, but, like, if you truly commit and if you give yourself to it and if you're not trying to, like I said, just do manufacture these tips and techniques, but you're really just, like, giving your whole self and letting them be the judge, that's all you can do, really. <laughs> yeah, totally. So one other genre I forgot to mention is a television show. And through dubbing, I was able to do one of those as well. I did a Netflix special over last winter or fall, I forget. It was right, right around Halloween, so that's fall, right? Yeah. Um, it was called Sanpa, Sins of the Father, and it was an hmm. Italian-language documentary about a rehab facility in Italy. And I did some of the English dubbing, along with a lot of other friends like Tom Deere and Ken Foster, and it was a lot of fun. My first time doing live dubbing in a studio, and I was really excited to be able to say I did that, too, because it's something I hadn't really, hadn't really been on my radar when I first started. It wasn't something I could say that I really even knew about at that point. But once I was able to have a credit on Netflix, that was pretty darn cool. (laughs) That is awesome. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, it's like appreciate those milestones as they happen. Because sometimes, like, I know talent who've, like, who haven't booked in for for a couple of years, and then everything just comes in at once, right? It's very easy to, to get discouraged. And if you let yourself get discouraged, then, like, you're only a bad day away from quitting, right? So... Um, so even when those, like, you know what they say, it's always darkest before dawn. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, what else? Oh, well, the One Voice Awards. My gosh, I never thought I'd be up for an award. And there I was a couple of weeks ago having Randy Thomas, the voice of the Oscars for so many years, announcing my name as a nominee for, for In-Show Narration Award. I didn't win, but it was such a great moment to hear that and be a part of that ceremony with all those great nominees and winners it was just a fantastic experience overall and again just that that perspective that we're talking about before it's like we've talked about how the vo industry is just is extremely supportive and most of us are just thrilled to be 
like alongside some of some of our compatriots, right? That we look up to and respect. So again, like for some people, a loss is a loss, but for other people, a loss is one step closer to the next win. Yeah, in that case, that that the category I was in was won by Matt Kalrick. And I know you're friends with Matt, and you, I've even seen you do some performances with him on, on Facebook videos. Yeah. <laughs> He's fantastic. Oh, he does a fantastic Ian McKellen, doesn't he? Yes, he does. <laughs> uh, fantastic talent. Uh, but yeah, and that's, again, like, how can you hate on a guy like that, right? It's just like you want them, like, you, you revel in their successes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that is too cool, man. Congratulations. The last thing I want to talk about, and something we've we have a lot of experience with, is aspirational gear. Because a lot of the times, <laughs> new talent, as you know, and I think I was guilty of this too. Maybe you were to an extent as well. The first thing I wanted to do was go out and buy the most expensive microphone I could find or afford at the time. And I had no idea what I was doing. All I cared about was the shiny new mic. And when I found out about the recording space, then I wanted to have the best booth I could have, the best interface, all that stuff. Everybody knows we bought a thousand, bought a thousand pieces of gear and spent. <laughs> thousands of dollars but good times but you have to look back and and revel in all the things i've been able to experience like owning a 416 owning a tlm 103 by mistake owning (laughs) (laughs) i still love that story man it's so ridiculous using uh using almost every model of audio technica and trying pretty much every (laughs) dynamic mic out there and then finally here i go again being able to record in a Studio Bricks booth, who is a sponsor of the show. Thank you, Studio Bricks. You have made my life so much easier. And I, when, I, when Studio Bricks first came out, because I think they, if they were being built when I first started, I didn't know about them. But once I did, I was just drooling over it for years and years. And once I was able to get into one, it was definitely a milestone in my career. Yeah, and it's a great one to have, too. Like like we were saying, you don't always, well, as we said multiple times on this, like, we spend thousands on gear, so you don't have to, <laughs> right? But as your, your career goes, of course, you have financial constraints, but you should not be afraid to invest in yourself, right? I mean, Paul and I were, like, we're unabashed gear nerds, and so we had no issues trying different things out and seeing if we could either, re- like, get that industry standard sound for less, which you can, or... Uh, and, and actually get a sense of what the hubbub was about for some of these more popular mics, like the 416, the 103. Uh, well, I have used a U87, didn't purchase one to try it out, but I have used it in studio. It sounds great. But uh, again, it's just, like I said, don't be afraid to try things. Don't be afraid to try a new mic if it sounds like it might help you. For example, if you're working with an LDC or a large diaphragm condenser for a long time, try a shotgun mic. Maybe it'll improve your noise floor. I don't know. But like, or if you see an interface that has features that you have been wanting in your current setup, but don't have, right? So again, don't just buy stuff because everyone else is doing it. But if things are, if it makes sense, if it's going to be an upgrade in the sound quality, if it's going to have features that will make your workflow more efficient, you can, you can be comfortable making that investment, right? And if it doesn't turn out the way you want, it's very easy to flip these things. Sometimes it is okay to buy a Neumann because you want a Neumann, and it just makes you feel good. If you if you feel like that's going to help your your self esteem, go ahead and do it. Because like all the other milestones we've talked about, having that aspirational milestone past it can be good for your ego, and that'll that'll reflect yeah, your absolutely. performances. Like one of one of our GVA members was reaching out to me. She's like, I'm really happy with my Sennheiser MK4, which is a fabulous three hundred dollar mic. 
But I've been looking to get a Sennheiser 416 because there's always a lot of hubbub with certain studios requesting specific mics and et cetera, et cetera. And I always say it's a matter, it's a preference, not a requirement. I was like, what's your noise floor, right? Because sometimes shotgun mics can, can improve that. She's like, I got minus 70. I was like, you don't need another mic. Yeah, but if you're getting minus 60, minus 70 with a large diaphragm condenser, your noise issues are fine. Like I know, unlike Paul who lives near a freaking freeway, and I get it, like worrying about incidental noise and stuff like that. Like I still don't have an isolated booth. I would love to have a Studio Bricks booth like Paul does, but I don't have the space for it right now. But living in quiet rural Washington, I don't need more than what I have, right? So again, like it can be nerve wracking to try and make those steps and no one's ever gonna be like, you're right, Paul, you need a 416 or yeah, that's right, you should get a 103. <laughs> but if it makes sense to you, then get it. For example, there, like you'll see a lot of, like follow the, tr or like I know lots of people like Christian Lance or Emmett Andrews, who's like, I got three 416s and one 103 for the 2% of clients that ask for it, right? So it's like, it's just another investment in satisfying a client base, right? So unfortunately, some clients, if they ask for that, they're, that's all they want. The, if you want to work with that client, you need to follow those requests. But if that's not important to you, you can probably get away with something else. So as we said, we want to do this. We want to do a recap of, of how far we've come and talk about our own experiences. We really kind of wanted to do this at the new year, but we had so many great guests that we really couldn't make it work. And we're thankful for that. But now you know how we've sort of approached our careers and Every once in a while, it's good to take a step back and see how far you've come. So we'll get to our interview with John Malone in just a minute. We will all enter the Malone Zone right after a word from our sponsors. As a voice talent, you have to have a website. But what a hassle getting someone to do it for you. And when they finally do, they break or don't look right on mobile devices. They're not built for marketing and SEO. They're expensive. You have limited or no control. And it takes forever to get one built and go live. So what's the best way to get you online in no time? Go to voiceactorwebsites.com. Like our name implies, voiceactorwebsites.com just does websites for voice actors. We believe in creating fast, mobile-friendly, responsive, highly functional designs that are easy to read and easy to use. You have full control. No need to hire someone every time you want to make a change. And our upfront pricing means you know exactly what your costs are ahead of time. You can get your voiceover website going for as little as $700. So if you want your voice actor website without the hassle of complexity and dealing with too many options, go to voiceactorwebsites.com, where your VO website shouldn't be a pain in the you-know-what. Hi, everybody. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know about Studio Bricks. Studio Bricks designs and creates the highest performing portable sound isolation booths. Their professionally perfected acoustics enhances your performance and takes your recordings to their maximum quality from your home studio. Forget about managing noise conflicts with your neighbors and family. Pursue your passion for voiceover on your own time and on your own terms. How many times does this happen to you? You're listening to the radio when this commercial comes on. Not unlike this one. And this guy starts talking. Not unlike myself. Or maybe it's a woman that starts talking. Not unlike myself. And you think to yourself, geez, I could do that. Well, mister, well, missy, you just got one step closer to realizing your dream as a voiceover artist. Because now there's Global Voice Acting Academy. 
All the tools and straight-from-the-hip, honest information you need to get on a fast track to doing this commercial yourself. Well, not this one exactly. Classes, private coaching, webinars, home studio setup, marketing and branding help, members-only benefits like workouts, rate and negotiation advice, practice scripts, and more. All without the kind of hype you're listening to right now. Go ahead, take our jobs from us. We dare you. Speak for yourself, buddy. I like what I do. And you will, too, when you're learning your craft at Global Voice Acting Academy. Find us at globalvoiceacademy.com. Because you like to have fun. Walgreens. Because it's flu season. You live in a place with doorknobs and handrails and, you know, people. We tried booking a vacation rental on one of those other websites. They don't always tell you everything. The stars take it to the red carpet. We are back live from the red carpet. California leads the way for change in America, and so does Kamala Harris. Rated M for Mature. Claire Redfield. And who exactly are you? So, yeah, what hashtag should I use to describe a grown man in a tuxedo wrestling a goat? And prior to 1933, many of them belonged to a variety of political parties that were now outlawed in Germany. This is the story of how Q got curly. Quinn was crazy about curls. Curly fries, curly straws, curly-haired dogs. Hey, Jay Michael here. Thanks for listening to the VO Meter podcast. It's one of my favorites. If you're looking for a great demo like the ones you just heard, check out jmcdemos.com for more information. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the VO Meter. We're pleased to be joined by John Malone. John Malone is an award-winning voiceover artist and audiobook narrator who lives in the Highland Park neighborhood of Los Angeles with his wife Daisy and their two cats. Born and raised in the greater Boston area, John has been devoted to the craft of acting since grade school. He attended Harvard University, where he studied chemistry, but spent the majority of his time appearing in, directing, and producing plays with the Harvard Radcliffe Dramatic Club. After a few years in the shirt-and-tie world, John eventually made his way to Hollywood to pursue a dream. Along the way, John has played the real-life roles of analytical chemist, technology guru, computer programmer, bartender, forensic accountant, TV film actor, and voice talent. He spends most of his days alone in a padded room, talking to himself and capturing it all with a microphone. So welcome, John Malone. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting us enter the Malone zone, as I, I like oh. to, call, to, to call out from your branding, which I just love. Thank you. I appreciate it. So... Boston. I think you might be the first mass hole we've had on the show as a guest. (laughs) I wear that badge with pride. (laughs) So tell us more about how you got started and when you smartened up and moved to Hollywood. When did I smarten up and move to Hollywood? Well, after I graduated from college, I had a degree in chemistry and uh, I went to work as an analytical chemist. And um, I pretty much had given up any... uh, theater pursuits that I had been doing prior to that. I'd always been involved in theater in uh, uh, junior high school, in high school, and in college. Uh, And I just left that all behind when I got out into the working world. And after a couple of years of no theater, I really began to miss it. So I started looking for community theater groups in the area and just started getting involved in community theater and doing shows, musicals. Uh, And I found that I liked that better than my job. I really preferred preparing for the shows, going to rehearsals, the performances. It was just all very exciting. And um, it just, it made me happier than uh, my my career at the time. So uh, I 
decided, well, uh, while I'm young, uh, I, I, I better get this out of my system. So uh, I decided to move to Los Angeles. So that was after about five years of uh, working in what I called the shirt and tie world. Mm-hmm. And uh, I moved to L.A. to pursue an on-camera career. Actually, I really didn't have voiceover on my mind. Um, but on-camera careers in Los Angeles are tough. And, uh, you know, I was very green. I didn't really know a lot about how Hollywood worked. So uh, I kept at it for quite some time, but uh, it just got to be too much. Um, L.A.'s expensive. And, uh, you know, by that time I was I was married and uh, my stepson was getting ready to go to college. We wanted to buy a house and it just wasn't happening, you know, on a bartender's salary or an office temp salary. So I had to start looking for other things to do. And, and I basically put my acting aspirations on the back burner and took maybe a 10 or 15 year hiatus. I still would occasionally do plays when people asked me to, but uh, and, and short films and things like that. I mean, I had friends that were always doing creative things and I was happy to get involved, but it really was not I, I didn't think of it as a career aspiration anymore. So fast forward after about 10 or 15 years of working in a completely different profession, I was starting to get really burned out on that. And uh, I remembered that the last thing, the last pursuit that I uh, had jumped into near the end of my on-camera career was voiceover. It was just something I was looking to sort of add to the toolbox. And... Uh, I had done some training with a coach. I'd made my first demo, and I actually had done pretty well in the short time that I was doing it. But that was when my acting career, my on-camera career was kind of sputtering, and, and I was getting into this new phase of life. And so I had put that aside. That was probably year 2002, somewhere around there. So around 2015 when I was really starting to lament my job and starting to feel like it was too much pressure for me and I didn't like it anymore, I started looking back at voiceover and I realized that things had changed unbelievably in the few years that I'd been away from it. Home studios were starting to be a thing. There were pay-to-plays. Uh, and it just sort of seemed like something doable. Um, you know, my experience in voiceover before that had been that, you know, you had to run around from studio to studio. And uh, the idea that you could record at home was just really fascinating to me. And uh, so I left my job in 2015. I didn't really plan on voiceover necessarily being my next thing, but uh, I decided to experiment with it and uh, it it took off and I've kept doing it ever since. So uh, that was kind of how it happened. Wow, that's that's amazing. I didn't realize you had taken that hiatus like that. That sound, sounds like my own story. Without yeah. the move to Hollywood, I had the same epiphany <laughs> the same year, 2015. I started researching on the internet and found mm. places like the voiceover body shop and uh, GVAA and found out that you could do this from home. And I had the same sort of wake-up call that said, all right, now's time. So... That's that's fascinating. So you had you had been in voiceover before that then. I was you not in voiceover. Dabbled? I had a had oh, an undergraduate degree in broadcasting. I did mostly radio. And I see. I see. I thought I was going to be either a radio DJ or a television anchor, and mm-hmm. that that dream dried up quickly. And I went and did shirt and tie world for twenty years. So, ah, yeah, similar similar situation. 
yeah, I had two stints in the shirt and tie world, yeah. <laughs> interrupted by on camera for a short period of time. Okay, so from 2015, basically, till now, what are some of the things that you might have struggled with when you decided to go for voiceover, not necessarily full-time, but as much as you could? Well, um, you need a lot of work <laughs> in order to sustain <laughs> yourself. And, um, you know, at first, you're just grateful to book anything. And then once you start booking things, then you start to get hungry and you start to realize, boy, I need to string together a lot more of these if I'm going to make a living at it. So, you know, I'd say one of the big struggles is is patience, uh, realizing that it's a long game and, uh, you know, not getting down on yourself if you're not booking right away because it does take time. Um, but after a while, you know, things start to click. Your reads get better. More people know you. Um, you have clients that might return to you. And so, you know, you start to pick up a head of steam. So, uh, you know, I would say that uh, learning patience has uh, been key. Yeah, I would agree. Now, you certainly found your footing working for some huge brands, including one of my current favorites as the voice of Sonny for Kellogg's Raisin Bran. It's, it's <laughs> made me purchase untold amounts of cereal over the last couple of months. What helped mm. you find your footing and really get, get traction? Um, persistence, really, I mean, uh, and coaching. I think, you know, a lot of people try and do everything DIY, and that's great to, to an extent, but uh, you really do need to have uh, somebody else's ears on your stuff uh, and giving you um, guidance, giving you pointers, helping you get better. So, uh, you know, I would credit it to, to coaching and persistence. Now, have you worked with one particular? You don't have to give names, but would you recommend going with one coach and sticking with that one person or sampling, working with several different coaches and finding where you fit? It's, it's, it's different person to person. Um, it's great when you're first starting out if you can find a coach that resonates with you so that they can really start to get some momentum going for you. But once once you're starting to feel get your legs and you feel a little bit more comfortable, I think it's good to to uh, work with other coaches. Different coaches have different expertises. Different coaches have different approaches. I, I've worked with a lot of coaches, and uh, I learned different things from different ones. And um, depending upon you know what it is I'm after, I'll reach out to different coaches. So, yeah, I I, I think when you're first starting out, it's good to start with a coach that will uh, help you really start to get comfortable. But then once uh, you've found your way and you're looking to expand, it's good to reach out and, uh, and coach with others. Taking lots of workshops is good too. Um, you don't need to necessarily work one-on-one -on -one with a coach. Uh, you can do a variety of workshops and you can learn nuggets from a coach in a workshop. You can learn nuggets from a coach listening to them give advice to other voice actors in a workshop. So um, I think working with a lot of different coaches is a good idea. So you're right, Paul. Um, as working for an online school, I definitely recommend coaching, not just because I work for one. Even before being with GBAA, I worked with something like 35 coaches, and now it's probably closer to 65 or something like that. But um, not saying you have to work with that many, but as John was saying, everyone's got their own style, and people feel like, like honestly, there are so many coaches, if you're struggling to build a rapport or if you're not getting the improvement that you want with a coach, find someone else. 
you don't have to be a jerk about it, but just be like, hey, I don't think we gel together. And maybe the coach will be like, yeah, you're right. You should find someone else. But again, there are so many coaches you can reach out to. And I know someone made a really helpful resource document listing most of them. So um, <laughs> that's me in case you were wondering. But <laughs> But still, I mean, like like John said, I think we should never stop learning. We shouldn't use it as a crutch, but we should be open to exploring new avenues if we're trying to break into genres we're not familiar with. I think it's a good way to to look back at your career and sort of give yourself a, a, a pep talk. If you go and, and list, like in a resume format, all the coaches, workshops, and the workshops you've taken at conferences are included, like Bio Atlanta that we all just finished. If you take take the time to make a list of those people you've worked with, it can really make yourself feel better about all the work you've put in, because those that in and of itself can be uh, a building block to getting better. Absolutely, absolutely. What are some genres that you haven't done but hope to, John? Genres that I haven't done but hope to. Well, uh, <laughs> as you know, Sean, I just uh, I released a new animation demo. And I've done a little bit of animation, but I really want to double down on that genre, and I'm really hoping to get uh, some more work in that area. So that's sort of a, a stretch area for me. Gee, who did that demo, John? <laughs> well, <laughs> funny you should ask, uh, but David Rosenthal was the producer uh, and my coach to prepare. Oh, from the Great. GVAA, sponsor of the VO Meter <laughs> podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Paul's being so hard sell for me, so I don't have to. See how we start I mean, that yes. up. So, so what was that experience like? I unfortunately didn't get to work with you directly with that, but I'd love to hear more about it from your side. Well, um, I worked with David um, for uh, a, a few one-on-one -on -one sessions just to sort of get to know him and have him get to know me. Um, I had in my mind working on a demo eventually, but uh, it wasn't something we talked about at first. Um, but then after we coached for a few sessions, um, we seemed to really click and um, he seemed to be happy with the work that I was doing and I was really getting a lot out of his coaching. So that's when I proposed the idea of doing demos together. And uh, it was it was great, actually. It was really good experience and, and a good process for me. Uh, the way that it worked was I'm conceiving of all of these characters. So I would come into one of our sessions armed with two characters that I had created. We're doing six for, for the demo. So I'd come into a session with two characters that I'd created. And when I create a character, you're, you're, you're sitting down and you are writing a spec for that character, just like you would if you were getting an audition notice from somebody. And um, so you write the description of that character, everything that you think you would want to tell another voice actor if they were playing this character. And then you conceive of a variety of scenarios that that character might be in, like three, four, five different scenarios. And then I would write lines for those three, four, or five different scenarios with a mind towards this is going on a demo. So I'm trying to keep them basically short snippets, not dialogue oriented, but just one thing for that character to say in the midst of doing something or interacting with another character or what have you. And I would record all of those just like it was an audition. I'd send it to David. And then when we'd have our session, we'd listen to those recordings together and then we'd proceed from there. So, um, you know, I've done all the work of creating this character and, and uh, writing a description of it and writing all the lines. And then we'd sit down and we would just, we'd finesse it. 
Sometimes we'd have to edit the lines, definitely have to fit on a demo because often you, you, you'd write more than you could put on a demo. Um, I think the hardest part actually for us when we were working on it was uh, choosing what we were going to do. You create this character, you create, say, four killer scenarios for them to be in. And you really only choose one of them for the demo. So we ended up saying goodbye to some really some funny bits, some good lines, stuff that I really liked. But, you know, you got to make your choices. Can't but, keep all your babies. No, you can't keep all <laughs> your babies. Exactly. But I, but I love and, and first off, uh, thank you so much for for elaborating so so wonderfully on that. Like, I always love that GVA tries to instill so much agency in the talent we we make demos for, like making you very often we have you write your own scripts. And as you said, these are your characters. Characters. It's not just like, oh, here's someone I think you can sound like, right? Which I've right. seen working with other coaches. But I love that in your personal spin, you always did it with a goal in mind and you tried to sort of think of it from a professional standpoint, like from the auditions and the specs that you're already seeing. So right. I think that really helped lend that, that, that sense of professionalism lends itself to the delivery on your demo. For sure, for sure. And it kind of stemmed out of... Uh, the coaching I was doing with David anyway, um, I mean, when we when we first started coaching without an eye towards a demo, he's sending me sides. I would record them uh, beforehand and send them into him and we'd listen to them. So it was almost like, well, then I'm going to emulate that um, in preparing for the demo. I'm going to create a document just like these sides that you've sent me. Um, to help me prepare this character. And I sat down before we did any of it, and I knew what the characters were. I mean, I had a list of who the characters were going to be because I kind of knew uh, the sides of myself that I wanted to show. Now, this all evolved over time while we were doing it, but I, I, I had a vision in mind, and um, we'd make little tweaks to it over time. But... Uh, I liked what you said about uh, giving the actor agency. It really worked for me in the character demos uh, for discovering the characters. I don't know how it would work for me in terms of commercial, you know, like writing commercial copy or writing promo copy. But in terms of like creating characters and, and writing lines for them to say, it, it was great. I think you need both, actually. I've done demos with several different people, and the first one I did was kind of railroaded for me like they, they wrote all the copy they told me what to say it's because i was pretty new and it came, it came out pretty well i landed with several agents from it so i can't complain but I, I enjoyed the process much more when i was able to add some some tweaks to it so for instance you know i live in baltimore or i think you know i live in baltimore which is why yes. i gave you the guff about the boston thing because the orioles and red Sox, <laughs> you know oil and oil and, and water but anyway I wanted to include something local in my my, my second commercial demo so we had something about um about um, about crabs and and the beach because that's what we have here and it makes sense to have that mm. sort of local flair, so I think the best demo producers will always have agency to the actor regardless of the of the, of the uh, genre. Well, as time has gone by and as I've gotten more confident, um, I've been more and more involved in uh, the demo production. I'm more and more willing to speak up and say. I think we should do this, or I prefer that, or this is the order I think they should go in, or I would put this one first, or I'd put that one last. You know, not being uh, intimidated um, to share your opinion about those things because it's truly a collaboration, and it should be. 
Brilliant. Now, this is great. And and I like that you you mentioned that the sort of the devil's advocate side too, Paul, because again, I see people trying to make their all their own demos all the time. And if you don't have that experience that John does, if you don't kind of have that understanding of the styles and the parameters and what's expected, not just of the performance style, but of the demo format, then you're not helping yourself. Right? I was helping, I was reviewing a talent's demo that was made about 15 years ago, and it was just trying to be everything to everyone, right? It was multiple genres, like different, like, I, I don't know what it was trying to accomplish. Well, that was how, that was kind of how the demos were done back then, back in the day. That's true. That's true. And so, but luckily there was actually a lot of usable things where I was like, no, this is really three demos. This is really a commercial, an accent, and a character demo. Separate it, please. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, it's really interesting how to, again, be mindful of those changes and how the requested styles have changed even within the last five years, let alone the last 15. So carrying that forward, right. John, you, it seems to me you update your demos a lot, which is not a bad thing, but I'm wondering how has that helped your career? And we should say, by the way, you're, you're an award-winning uh, demo <laughs> actor. You won a Silvas Award for, remind me which category? Well, it's uh, ironically, uh, it's in audiobooks, which I do not have a demo for. <laughs> I, I have plenty of samples and things like that, but I've never cobbled together a demo for audiobooks, oddly. My, my commercial demo was nominated in 2016. Um, I had a political demo nominated and a radio imaging demo nominated. Okay, so that's, I was thinking of the nominations. So congrats yes. on those. <laughs> Thank you. But back to the um, question: when How you is say, doing when you, demo? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I I don't actually update my demos often enough. I would say I, I just do new demos in new areas. I, so I'm branching out. I'm I'm trying to add new uh, new arrows in my quiver. So my commercial demo uh, is five years old now, and it probably could use, you know, it could probably use a, a, a dust up. I could probably stand to, you know, refurbish it, but I just, I haven't, I haven't gotten around to it. So yeah, I think people should update their demos often. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I wish I had it in me to update the commercial one. I just haven't gotten around to it. <laughs> well, like you were uh, intimating, I think it's more important to kind of, I mean, obviously your current demos are getting you work. So that's a very important consideration. If they aren't, then maybe you should update something. Or if you've become a better actor or it no longer represents your current ability or even your voice, if that right. changed in the last couple of years. Right. But like for you, and you're welcome to correct me, but I assume that as you like have these new demos served as sort of like a um, have they opened new doors for you? Have they helped you break into those genres? Well, I, I think that it, what it demonstrates to people is that uh, it demonstrates versatility, which is, I think, what I'm looking to demonstrate. Oh, he does this, too. Oh, he does that, too. I didn't know he doesn't just do this, you know, so that's what. I want people to perceive. I mean, I know for myself, when I started, I did four demos at once. (laughs) I got a commercial, a narration, an IVR, and an audiobook back when you had demos for audiobooks. But because like you, I wanted to, I I didn't want to just be a commercial or an animation talent or whatever. I, I picked all the current viable genres that made sense to me at the time. And then, like you said, it can show a sense of versatility. It can show dedication in in your craft or experience. I find that people who have been in the industry for a decade or two tend to have a dozen different 
genres that they can um or even like combinations of samples recombine for different genres right, right. so um, yeah, it's all about showing what you can do and addressing all of your potential clientele. Right, right. When I dove back into voiceover in 2015, I had a demo that I had produced uh, 12 years earlier, something like that. So I, I had something to start with, and but the quality of my voice had changed over the course of a decade plus, and... Um, styles had changed so you know the the demo was a little dated and uh my voice a little bit more youthful but it was still a decent demo and it got me you know some attention and some work but i knew when i dived back in that the first order of business was going to be new commercial demo um and probably within the first year year and a half i was in vo i i did a new commercial demo and then that was the only one i had and um, I was sort of feeling like Sean. I really wanted to expand. So the next time I went and did demos, I did a bunch of them at once, just so I could expand into a bunch of different uh, genres that I was interested in. Mm -hmm. So now you are an established talent with several national brands to your name. How much of your work comes from your demo versus auditioning? The majority of my work actually comes from repeat clients. Um, and you know, it's hard for me to say, did they hire me because of my demo? Did they hire me because, uh, they sent me an audition to read? I don't always remember all of that. So I, I often hear people say, I book off my demo all the time. And I don't know if I do. I don't know <laughs> if I book off my demos all the time, to be honest with you. I don't either. Um, I'm terrible at tracking that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm not good at tracking that sort of thing. Um, but it, there's certainly a good way to introduce yourself to people and for them to know who you are and what you're about. It is. I know a lot of people struggle with that because it is a big investment. Let's let's be honest. I mm -hmm. mean, anywhere between fifteen hundred to three grand is pretty common uh, for a good demo um, for a competitive one. And that can be cost prohibitive for a lot of people. And especially like for certain genres, it can be easy to try and like justify not getting one right or to do it yourself and like hopefully make enough money that you can actually invest in a real one so right. why do you think that mentality of of either taking shortcuts or just trying to to save money where you can might not be the best idea well you always you, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression as they say so you always want to be putting your best foot forward so i think a diy demo is just not a very good idea. Not to say that I have never done a DIY demo, but I think most of my DIY demos have been me stitching together work, which isn't the worst idea in the world. Right. Um, um, but so that's more like a resume, I guess, than a demo. Exactly. And sometimes you'll have clients, like say for corporate or e-learning, or like, can we just get a raw sample of something? Like, just sure. hear your studio and stuff like. And that's the thing: samples are not demos, and right. people get those confused a lot. And mm. so, and again, it can be frustrating because you're like, oh, everyone says I need this thing, but it doesn't seem to do as much work as people think. But it's kind of just like it's a professional investment. It shows that you are a talent of a certain uh, like experience and level, right? No right. agent is going to accept a solicitation from a talent that doesn't have a professional demo. Right, right. And I've heard some DIY demos that are just cringe-inducing, you know? 
And uh, you don't want to be that person in the, whose demo makes people roll their eyes. Or that they laugh about in the agent's office at Christmas parties. Well, exactly. Yeah. So carrying on that theme, our audience, well, I don't know if this is true anymore. We've said this for a long time, but we still think that our audience tends to skew toward newer folks in the business. What are some things you'd recommend to people who are just starting out in VO? Well, I'll probably be repeating some themes that I've already said, but um, number one, patience. Uh, you've got to be patient. This is not going to happen for you overnight. Um, number two, uh, acting is a very good foundation for this stuff because it's called voice acting. Uh, voice acting is acting. So I think it's a good idea for people to take some acting classes or at least maybe some improv classes, something like that. It helps with every genre. And I guess third, coaching. Definitely work work with coaches in a workshop format at first, and then one-on-one -on -one when you get to the point where you can afford that. Um, but I just think it's important to get another set of ears listening and uh, giving you pointers. Wonderful. And I kind of wanted to just piggyback on what we had talked about earlier about kind of depending on where you're at in your career sometimes it's more beneficial to listen to your mentors and then as you get more confident more agency as we talked about then it can be then it can be good to get more involved and to be more assertive and collaborative in your own career mm. because once the training is done no one is going to be as invested in your career as you are no one's going to find those jobs for you Right? right? So being able, or as I like to say, and as you were intimating too, it requires patience and persistence. And this is hard, but if you do the majority of the work up front, as far as training, equipment, and marketing goes, everything just starts to fall into place, right? So much more easily. And rather than you having to be being unprepared and then reactionary when opportunities do come. Right, right. I think though that you do need to have you mentioned training, equipment, and marketing. And r really those three things are all crucial. And it's like a stool, you know, if, if one of them isn't there, uh, you're gonna struggle. So uh, all three of those things are very important. So you need to pay attention to all of them. So with all that advice in mind, and given your 20, 20 years of experience, 21 years of experience now, where do you see the future of VO? It's only going to grow. Um, I mean, it's it's it used to be that VO was just commercials, or at least that's what people thought of VO as, either that or cartoons. Um, and it has just grown exponentially, and there's all kinds of uh, new avenues for people to get involved. I was just speaking with someone the other day. Uh, that's involved in virtual reality, and there's just all kinds of virtual reality applications or just apps on your phone that are going to require voiceover. So um, there's a lot of it. And, um, uh, you know, explore, explore, find what's interesting to you. Um, peep, there's a niche for everybody, I think, and there's a use for everybody's voice. Um, so, uh, you know, Look around and, uh, and, and, and find what works for you. Brilliant advice. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. Well, thanks for having me, guys. It's great to speak with you. If people want to learn more about your work or about you, how can they do that? 
Well, they can visit my website at uh, malonezone.com, or they can connect with me on uh, any of the various social media platforms. Uh, I'm either at The Malone Zone or Malone Zone VO. So look for me there. All right, John, thanks again, and hope to see you sometime in person very soon. Amen, amen, in person, both of you. I, I hope it happens soon. Looking forward to it. Have a good one, John. All right, thanks, guys. You are now exiting the Malone Zone. You hear a guy mumbling under his breath. You can't understand what he's saying. Maybe he's a little drunk. No, he's not drunk. He's just having a good time. But thank you, John, so much for being on the podcast. That was a lot of fun, and it was really cool to hear your story from the beginning. Yeah, John's a fantastic talent. Uh, I've actually recently referred him to an agency because he's that good. He he's and the the best thing about John is he's really modest. He's absolutely fabulous. He's a multi award winner and he deserves every bit of success he's getting. John, thanks for being on the show and sorry it took us so long to publish this. <laughs> Thank you for your patience. It was a crazy quarter. <laughs> so that wraps up this episode of the VO Meter. Measuring your voice over progress. Coming up next we have Dury Allen Nieves. Stay tuned for that. All right, looking forward to that one, and you'll hear us in the next one. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the VO Meter. To follow along, visit us at www.vometer.com. We'd also love to hear your comments or suggestions for the show. Or if you have a questionable gear purchase, tell us all about it on our Facebook page or on Twitter at the VO Meter. 